Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. We are still in the parables. Our last week in Summer in the Parables, we've covered pretty much all the big ones, some of my favorite ones, some of the weird ones. And of course, many of the parables are a bit weird. But today we're going to cover the unforgiving servant. Again, one of the big, Jesus' big and most famous parables. So let's just jump into it. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like... Okay, so we've seen some of these parables already this summer. It's a parable about what God's kingdom is like. Okay, so this, we're going to learn something about God's kingdom in this parable. All right, so here we go. A king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. By the way, um, it's Christian. I don't even know why I'm stopping. I'm a little bit, of, this is a dumb rabbit trail. But anyway, we like to emphasize the fact that God is a king. But do you ever think that some of the reason God's always called a king in the Bible is because that's all people understood? Like, can you imagine if Jesus had told a parable about a president or a prime minister? Nobody would have gotten it. But anyway, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, at today's prices, that's a lot of money, okay? And this is the NIV. The actual Greek translation is not 10,000 bags of gold. Instead of bags of gold, it just says talents. Okay, and a talent was just a weight of precious metal. It was 60 or 70 pounds. So this is like, uh, you know, 600, 700,000 pounds of some kind of precious metal, whether it's gold or silver. The point is, it's a lot of money. It's an unimaginable amount of money almost, okay? King Herod, who was a really bad guy, but King Herod the Great, he got to pull in, rake in all the taxes for the nation of Israel, only pulled in 1,000 talents a year from the whole nation of Israel. So the whole point in this parable is Jesus is using hyperbole. Anyway, this servant owes this king a massive amount of money. If Jesus was talking from the stage today, he'd probably say something like, you know, the guy owed the bank $10 billion or, or something like that. He would just, it's just a huge exaggerated amount of money. So the kingdom of heaven is like a king who's owed billions of dollars by a servant, Okay. And obviously, this is an unpayable amount of money. Can you imagine if your banker said you owe $10 billion? Okay? Let's just, let's just call it off right now. Okay? Because you can work every day for the rest of your life and never stop and not scratch that. Okay? So since he was not able to pay, this is the servant, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Well, that got gloomy in a hurry. And if we're getting real literal about parables, which I keep warning you not to do, if you get too literal with this parable, it sure looks like God's in favor of slavery. But we'll come back to that, okay? He isn't. So we keep going. But he can't pay it back. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who is owed billions of dollars by a servant who absolutely cannot pay it. Of course he can't. None of us could pay off something like that. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. So he has good intentions. He can't. That's the point of this parable. He can't pay it off. It doesn't matter how much you or I beg. I don't think we have any billionaires here. And if you are a billionaire, please come and see me. Okay? I just want a little bit of your money. That's it. For the church. Verse 27. 
The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go, okay? So this is big. This is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like, can't take all the details literally, but there's something here, right? There's a huge, unpayable billions of dollars of debt that a servant has to the king, and he can't pay it back. He begs for mercy, and the king cancels the debt. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, nobody, it's not like the king lowers the debt. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? Let's cross off 9,000 bags of gold, and you only have to pay off 1,000 bags of gold. It's nothing like that. I want you to also notice that nobody else comes and pays the debt for the servant. It's not like the king's getting paid anyway. It's the king is canceling the debt. That's what forgiveness is. He's not getting paid. He's out 10,000 bags of gold, okay? So that, the kingdom of heaven is something like this, okay? A king is owed a lot of money. The servant cannot pay such an unimaginably large amount of money. The king cancels the debt, okay? Now, we could end the parable right there, and that would be really wonderful, but Jesus doesn't end the parable there. We now get a plot twist, okay? And so we go into the plot twist. Oh, cancel the debt. Okay, keep going. And the plot twist. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, which is a lot less than 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 ta talents, okay? It's still a bit of money. It's probably a, you know, in Jesus' day, it's probably like a couple of months of salary. It's a significant amount of money, but it's nothing like what the servant owed to the king. Nothing, okay? But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began... <laughs> To choke him. I just love Jesus' parables tend to delve into the violent and the extreme. So right away, he's not, he just, I'm just imagining, you remember the old Simpson cartoons. But anyway, you shouldn't watch them though if you're a Christian. Only watch the Simpsons pre-Christian, okay? Otherwise, that's not good. Okay? And I only know about it because my friends told me about it, my pre-Christian friends, okay? So... Grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Okay, now, so this is a bit of a twist. The kingdom of heaven is like, we have this king. He's owed an unimaginably large sum of money. Okay, obviously the servant can't pay it back, so the king cancels it. All very good. Now this servant, now we're supposed to be disgusted and outraged, though. Okay, I mean, it'd be one thing if a servant who was owed 100 silver coins went out and choked a guy because he was owed 100 silver coins. But because this is the second part of the story, and in the first part of the story, this same servant experienced unimaginable generosity, we're meant to be outraged here. It's disgusting. What kind of a person are you? You're not doing as has been done to you. You've been granted mercy and generosity, yet you do not grant it to someone else. His fellow servant, the one who's getting choked, so as soon as the guy lets go of his neck, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Notice it's the same line that the first servant gave to the king. Okay? Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Okay? Now the question is, so now everybody's hearing this story it's kind of like you remember the story in the Old Testament. Maybe you don't. But if you remember the story in the Old Testament, David, remember, he had, you know, there's the whole Bathsheba thing. And he takes, uh, you know, Uriah's wife, uh, Bathsheba, not Hagar, <laughs> David and Hagar. 
what? How can I even be a pastor? That's not right. Okay? But, you know, Dave, there's the David and Bathsheba thing, not Hagar. That's a different, totally different story. But anyway, David and Bathsheba, he steals Bathsheba from Uriah, this poor, you know, he's the king. And then Nathan tells him a story about a rich man and a poor man, and the rich man steals the poor man's sheep. This is a similar kind of story. It's meant to be like outrage. What kind of a person could do this after he had received such mercy? So is this okay? And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, as they should be, and went and told their master everything that had happened. Okay? Now the parable, again, common with Jesus' parables, gets a little dark. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, of course, uh, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. So I want, let's just put the torture on the, let's just leave that for just a second. Let's just put that on the shelf, okay? Pretend the torture part wasn't there. We'll come back to it. It does kind of darken the story, doesn't it? I mean, if we're honest, we start out with this wonderful story of limitless forgiveness. 10,000 bags of gold, cancel the debt, I love you. Next second, okay, now I'm handing you over to the jailers, not to just be there, but actually to be tortured, okay? So very dark. We'll come back to it. But in the meantime, if we just forget about that for a moment, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's a forgiveness story. But not just about any, you know, it's not just about forgiveness in a sense. Now, this is where you have to understand. This is bigger than just the forgiveness story. Remember, he did not say, in your personal life, this is a story about what forgiveness is like. That's not what he said. He said something much bigger. He said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Forgiveness is not just something, you know, everybody who follows Jesus, we have this list of eight or nine things we do, and one of them, or eight or nine hundred, or whatever, or a dozen, or thirteen, and then one of those things is forgiveness. That's not what he says. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells a story about forgiveness. This is the core foundation of all of it. This is not a piece. This is not something people in the kingdom of heaven do amongst other things. The kingdom of heaven itself is like a group of people who have massive debts they cannot pay and they've all been canceled. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then as a result of that, these people's lives are radically changed so that when they turn around to their fellow human beings, Forgiveness is not just something, oh, oh yeah, i got to work on that because I do all these other things and i got to also do some forgiveness. No, no. Their whole life, the kingdom of heaven, not just one piece of your life, the kingdom of heaven, the whole kingdom is centered around forgiveness. Now your whole life becomes reoriented. I have been forgiven of so much, which changes everything in my life and how I view life. And now I turn around, and of course anybody who owes me Clearly, I want to pass on this forgiveness that I have received. And if you don't, something is seriously wrong. Something's wrong. It's not just I missed out on part of the checklist. Something's deeply wrong. Now, we're going to come back to that, okay, and have some grace for yourself. 
Because the tone of this is kind of dark. So let's talk a little bit about the torture. What is with the torture? To be honest, in our modern times here, I could do without the torture in this parable. And really in the ancient times too. I don't think torture was ever really that much of a great idea. So what is going on with the torture? It sort of ruins the mood of what this parable is about, this king who has limitless forgiveness. And so we have to ask the question, because clearly God is somehow represented in this king. Is God a gracious, generous, cancel 10,000 bags of gold worth of debt? Or is God a torturer looming over you that if you don't forgive, he's looking for a reason to throw you to the jailers and torture you? Now, some Christians, many Christians to this would answer, he's both. He's really generous and he's a torturer. I have a bit of a problem with that. Can you really be both? Can you be, are these two things, like a glass of water, if I take a glass of water and put in a drop of poison, do I have some poisonous water? And I have a glass that is both a little bit poison and a little bit clean? No, I have, everything's tainted. I put a drop of poison in there, I don't want it. Is God both 10,000 bags of gold worth of generous and a torturer? Can you imagine a man who every night comes home to his family and he's incredibly merciful and generous to his family, to his kids. But when he goes to work in the morning, he goes to work and he tortures people and he does horrible things to them. And by the way, these kinds of people have existed. Then Many of the Nazis were like this. And I'm going to tell you something right now. God is not like a Nazi. He doesn't go to work in the morning to torture and then come home for a few people who are really good and do nice things to them. So let me say a couple things about this torture thing. First of all, many things in parables are not meant to be taken literally. If you want to take the torture part literally, you also have to take another part literally, and that is the part about slavery. Because in this same parable, this king orders that he and his wife, the man who can't pay his debts and children, all be uh, and all that they have be sold to pay the debt. Clearly, God is not in favor. God is not in favor of slavery. Jesus is using, as he always does, he's using occurrences from their day. This happened in his day. Kings did this. And they did torture people. He's using things that happened in his world in an exaggerated and violent way to make his shocking points, to shock us into action. Now there's another thing we have to consider as well, not just, I mean, if you want to take the torturing stuff literally, you have to take the slavery part literally, but there's more to it than that. I want you also to think about who Jesus' audience is. Because audience is everything, isn't it? If, uh, if you go to work and you have uh, a conversation or a discussion or a debate with someone else at work, maybe that you get along with. Maybe, you, let's say you have a buddy at work and, and maybe he has a position where, you know, with abortion, he's in favor of abortion, you're against abortion, so you guys have a debate at work. Now, if you, got, if you have a debate with a buddy at work about abortion, you're probably going to use uh, really strong language, really strong terms. You're going to use things like murder. You're going to use various things like this to try and get across your point because you think abortion is wrong. He is going to use really strong terms back to you about women's choice and all this sort of stuff, trying to win the argument with you. But let me tell you something, and I'll guarantee it to you right now. 
you get in a room with a woman who is in a desperate situation. And she's thinking of having an abortion. And you can just imagine any scenario you want. She's poor. She's been abused. You know, she was whatever, assaulted, and it resulted in this pregnancy, whatever it is. And even though you are pro-life, you're going to talk to that woman in that situation totally different than your buddy at work. Isn't that true? By the way, please nod your heads because otherwise you're a danger to us as Christians and an embarrassment to the name of Jesus. Because context is everything. Isn't that true? How you talk in a theoretical discussion about sensitive topics is totally different than how you should. And I'm not even telling you that it's just, this is just, you know, like a thing. Like I just have compassion for people, so I talk a little differently. This is how we should as Christians. You speak differently in a different context. How you speak about divorce and marriage in a theoretical context with people who aren't wrestling with that and how you talk to them about that who are going through it, totally different. Doesn't mean your beliefs changed. It means how you approach it changed. Let me tell you right now. Jesus would not have told this parable this way if he was sitting in a room one-on-one with an abuse victim who's having a real hard time forgiving their abuser. It doesn't, mean that the, it doesn't mean that the truth changes. It just means that the approach is different. The violence, the, 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 you know, the pressure in this parable that builds the disgust with the person who doesn't forgive, all of that has to do with Jesus' context. What's his context? He's speaking to a group of people in a theoretical context who don't want to forgive limitlessly. He's in a culture where it was actually taught um, that forgiveness was something, some of the rabbis actually taught in this culture that in, in Jesus' time, that forgiveness is something you only have to give to a person three times, okay? Now again, to us that just seems, but we've grown up, most of us have grown up, even if you didn't grow up in a Christ, as a Christian, you've grown up in a culture that's heavily influenced by Christianity, so when we think of forgiveness, well, forgiveness is not something you count. Now, of course, we actually, in, in real practice, we often do count. I've forgiven you once for that. That's the last time. But in theory, we don't count. In theory, we all know, well, we should just forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. forgive. They were actually being taught by some of the rabbis, you only forgive three times. Which is why if we go to the verses right before this parable, we're going to see the question that Jesus is answering. So let's go look at the question. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? So he's asking a hypothetical theoretical question. Who sins against me? And now I want you to notice. Now I just told you in that culture they were taught three times. Peter has been with Jesus long enough to, to know already that Jesus is always radical when it comes to mercy and forgiveness. He thinks he's giving a really high number. I mean, seven's a perfect number. It's all over the book of Revelation, which hasn't been written yet. But three times is what some of the rabbis are saying. I'm going to go to Jesus and say seven because I'm a pretty good. You can see him, right, self-righteously positioning himself. Look at me up to seven times. And you can imagine him imagining Jesus going, wow, this Peter is something. This Peter is really something that he would even consider bumping the dial up to seven. But then, of course, Jesus goes way over the top. 
Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. By the way, for those of you who are, you know, you're counting, you're like, oh, hokey smokes. The point here, again, just like the 10,000 bags of gold, is you don't stop. In fact, one little rabbit trail, and this one is free. Why would Jesus say 77? Out of all the numbers to pick, why not 46? Why not 91? Why not 112? Why 77? Probably, either Jesus is doing it this way, or Matthew, the way he's organizing Jesus' teaching after, this is a reference back to Genesis 4. You guys all know Genesis 4, right? You've memorized that in your devotions. You should if you're a good Christian. Genesis 4, we have one of these wonderful Bible stories. Wonderful little Bible stories. Tidbits for your kids to take home with them. Lamech said to his wives, oh, whoops, kids, wife. I have killed a man for wounding me. Some good stuff. A young man for injuring me. So Lamech is a bit of a seedy character. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Notice the seven and the 77. This is, remember, you have to remember that the Jews in Jesus' day know their Old Testaments like the back of their hands. Okay? Jesus is making a direct comparison back to Lamech here. And basically what he's saying is the evil, violent people of this world have all this kind of limitless, if, you know, vengeance and anger. And our, your forgiveness, Peter, is supposed to be limitless. It's not just 77. I mean, it's, it's just on and on. But it, he's contrasting it with a story that the Jews in his day knew very well. He's contrasting it with the vengeance and violence of Lamech in the Old Testament. Okay? That's what's going on here. So, let's sum this up now. What do we learn from this? parable. What does the unforgiving servant parable teach us? Well, number one, we have been forgiven much. 10,000 talents worth. Think of it, $10 billion, whatever it is, an unpayable amount. We have all been forgiven much. That's the point of this parable. Second point. Therefore, because we have been forgiven much, it all turns on that. Therefore, our whole reality becomes gratitude. We are now happy to pass that forgiveness to everyone else. And by passing that forgiveness to everyone else, that doesn't mean we walk around telling everybody, hey, Jesus forgives you. That might be part of it. But what that actually means is, now when they hurt us and owe us, we pass on to them our forgiveness. They owe us 100 silver coins. We happily forgive them because we've been forgiven 10,000 gold bags. We also learn by the ending that to not forgive others when we have been forgiven much shows something is seriously wrong. Now the details of that and what that means for judgment, we don't take the torturing literally or any of that. That's not who God is. But we do suffer consequences. There is some kind of a judgment both from God, but even what we live in this world, when we hang on, what does that say about our souls? That servant who was forgiven 10,000 bags of gold and then chokes the guy for 100 silver coins, there's something deeply wrong with that man. And in the same way, this parable shows us that when we are not able to forgive, something is seriously wrong. Now, this is what we learn from this parable. But do you know that there's a whole bunch of things we don't learn from this parable, and what we don't learn from this parable is almost as important as what we learn from the parable. 
And I'll tell you why. Because as Western evangelicals, we tend to take these parables so super literally, and we just see this as a parable about forgiveness, and everything I need to know about forgiveness is in this parable. And how many people now have guilt, and they're thinking, well, I'm struggling to forgive some things in my life. But as I read this parable and I see the king torturing people at the end, how mad must God be at me for not forgiving? Okay? That's the wrong way to take this parable. So let me tell you what this parable is not about. What we do not learn from this parable, a parable is not meant to teach us everything about forgiveness. It's not meant to teach us how to forgive. It is only meant to teach us the situation we find ourselves in in the kingdom of heaven, which is a situation where we have had a massive debt canceled about, you know, that we owed. And now we, out of that, should want to forgive others. But the parable does not explain to us that forgiveness is often difficult and complex. That's not what a parable is for. A parable is meant to kick us in the butt and shock us into action. This parable does not tell us that forgiveness is sometime, sometimes takes a long time. Sometimes forgiveness takes a long time. This parable does not teach us that someone is in the monitor. I thought I heard voices back there. At first I just thought, I'm going crazy. It's just the monitor. Nothing wrong with that. What we do not learn, this parable does not teach us the steps to forgiveness. And this parable does not teach us that God is actually patient with us in the process of forgiveness. This parable is only meant to, com to, to communicate one thing. And that is, in the kingdom of heaven, we have been forgiven much. Therefore, forgiveness is central to everything we do. But how we get there and the fact that it takes a long time and that God is kind to us and that we should be kind to ourselves in the process, this parable does not teach us. So, motivated by the parable, let's try and make this practical. Motivated by the parable, but the parable doesn't teach us how. Let's look at just five things, and we could look at many, many, many. But let's just look at five things very quickly. How and the stages of forgiveness. Okay, because the parable does not tell us this. One stage, one of the first stages of forgiveness, and by the way, I'm not going to get the order all right or anything. It's not like it works like a linear order anyway. Everything with us humans is messy. But one of the first stages of forgiveness is hurt. You actually just need to feel hurt for a while. Did you know that? Too many Christians, I've been a pastor now for two decades, and I have been in uh, the room with people shortly after some terrible things. I've been in a room with spouses within 24 hours of finding out that their spouse has been committing adultery, whether once or for years. I've been in a room with people after, they, after something horrible was just done to people in their family, some kind of violence, some kind of abuse, whatever it is. I've been in a room with people who've been through some really, really terrible, terrible stuff. And sometimes when I'm in those rooms... Christians who are under the pressure of the, and taking that parable the wrong way and they've been taught all their life you just have to forgive. I've been with people who the day after their spouse, you know, committed some kind of adultery or something really terrible, they've been, you know, in some way they have been betrayed very deeply and they're like, I'm just moving on, I'm forgiving. Because they feel that pressure and they think that's the right thing to do. In every one of those cases, I'll tell you right now, it, when you have been hurt deeply, 
you don't even start by thinking of forgiveness. Okay? You don't forgive within 24 hours. You know what happens usually? You know what that's like? That's like you've got a big gash on your arm, and you think, well, the ultimate goal is for this thing to be healed, so I'm just going to seal that up right now. Before we deal with the wound, before we clean it, before we treat it, before we st stitch it up. If you try to forgive before you hurt, all you're doing is pushing some stuff down that's going to poison you in the long run. Now, depending on what it was, you know, someone looked at you weird at the drive-through. Maybe you don't need to be in this stage very long, okay? I'm also not talking about expressing your hurt to the person who hurt you necessarily. I'm not saying now you go and just blah, blah, barf all your stuff. I'm just saying feel your hurt. Actually, the first thing, you know, when I talk to people who have just been through some kind of trauma, they'll often, because I'm a pastor, so it's the right thing to say i got to work on forgiveness. I usually just outlaw it. Stop talking about forgiveness. That is something for later. Right now, you just need to survive. Just survive, depending on what they've been through these coming weeks or months, maybe years. Just survive. Feel your feelings. Now, with that can also come, sometimes, depending on what it is, space. Forgiveness does not mean, oh, we're buddy-buddy. Thanks. You just stuck a knife in my back. Ha-ha, <laughs> let's go for wings. Actually, no. We're going to have some space. We're going to have separation and or, depending on what it is, safety from the per perpetrators if necessary. Actually, this is part of forgiving. In a case of, you know, uh, infidelity in, in a marriage, it is perfectly fine. for per and, that's it. and I'm not even talking nothing about divorce or nothing, but it is perfectly fine for a spouse to say, you need to be out of the house for two weeks. That is not only really Christian, that is in many cases really wise. So that you aren't tempted to murder, right? Space. Actually, just have some space. Don't even think about forgiveness. I need space. I need to heal. I need to, oh, forget about healing. I just don't even know what I'm feeling. I need some space. I need some safety. Okay? The parable teaches us we need to forgive. The parable doesn't tell us how we get there. You've got to have some grace for yourself in these spaces here. You've got to have some kindness for yourself in these spaces. Well, after hurt and safety, at some point you have to get to a place where you start to process what was done to you, why and how you're hurting. This is where you need other people usually, depending on what, the, what it's been. Could be counselor, could be therapist, psychologist, could be just wise friends or family members. Whatever the case, you work through it. First, you just feel it. I am mad, or I don't even know what I'm feeling. Get some separation, process stuff, start to process stuff. Now, when you get to the process part, this is where you have to figure out, so what am I feeling? Rejection, shame, embarrassment, betrayed, whatever it is. This is what I'm feeling. Why is that hurting me? Why is it still hurting me six months later? Why is it still hurting me a year later? And you're not mad about the fact that it's still hurting. You're just noticing that it is hurting. And now you're getting the help you need to work through that. And then a fourth stage. And many of us Christians, we just paper over all of this and try to get straight to forgiveness. And by the way, you just won't be able to do it. But here's another one that we often really struggle with. At some point, and these three points here, depending on what's been done to you, might take a long 
long time. Guess what? God's your heavenly father. He's okay with that. Be kind to yourself. At some point, and you can't rush it, you are going to have to accept that you can't change the past. You know, that's a part of forgiveness, a really important part that a lot of us forget. At some point, when it's the right time and wise people are helping you and guiding you, but at some point, you say, ultimately, I can't change what happened to me. I can't change what was done to me. So am I going to just remain captive to that for the rest of my life? At some point, I have to move on. I have to accept that's part of my story now. That terrible thing that happened, that confusing thing that happened, that really bad, you know, and we're not calling it good. It's like, well, I forgive. It just means that's no big deal. No, no, it was a big deal. What they did to me was wrong. What that person did to me was wrong. But now I have to just accept they did it to me. That person did it to me. I accept. I can't change that. I can't make it not happen. That's not part of my story. That's part of my life story now. And I accept that. That brings us to the last part. And then at some point, as you get far enough into this, you finally have to start making a decision. I'm now going to move forward. I can't change the past. I can't stop. I can't go back in time and stop the things that were done. But now I'm not going to be held forward. I'm not going to be held captive. Because you and I, you're living and breathing here right now. You still have a future. You and I still have the rest of our lives, however long that is, to live. At some point you have to make a decision. I'm going to move forward into my future. I still have a life to live. That hurtful part is behind me. It's part of my story. But I'm moving forward. And at some point, for my own good, I need to let go of these negative feelings that are holding me into the past. Now I wonder as we I wonder as we go into fall various ones of us because we're part of the human race that means all kinds of confusing terrible stupid things have been done to you will be done to you and will be done by you. The 10,000 bags of gold you've already been forgiven by God you're probably going to rack up another couple of thousand before you're done. So the question is You can't jump from one to four. You can't jump from three to five. I'm not that good of a preacher. It's like, hold that, Chris. (laughs) I was in one, and now I'm in five. Man, I would love to be that good. Nobody's that good except for Jesus. So you know what your goal is? If you're on this journey right now, You're in maybe one of these five. The goal isn't just to jump to five. The goal is, I'm in one. How do I get, do the best I can do in one right now? What do I need to do to really do one? Don't talk to me about five. I got to do one real well. Maybe you're in three and you're like, oh man, I've been, really, I've kind of gotten through these. I haven't been intentional about three. I need to do three. I don't need to think about five. I need to do three. And I need to do it well. How am I going to do three? Maybe you're in four. Where are you at? One of the keys to your forgiveness journey, 
hearts. Remember that you have been forgiven. I absolutely love this quote. It's from N.T. Wright's commentary on Matthew. Matthew for everyone. If you don't have it, you should get it. And then you should read the book of Matthew again. But here's what N.T. Wright says. Forgiveness is like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful of forgiveness when you've just breathed out the previous one. Isn't that true? I'm going to read that one more time. Forgiveness is like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. So here's what we're going to do. Melissa has a really cool song that she's going to play. Or they, she, he, they, she. No, she's, she's a she, he's a he. And then there are they. Don't want anybody to get confused. Start the next rumor. They're going to play a song, and we're just going to stay seated, so there's no pressure on you to have to sing. This is just a time for you to think. You can either just enjoy the music and just think. Where are you in your forgiveness journey, and what do you do next? I'm going to pray for you just very briefly, and then I will pray for you again at the end, but they're just going to play a song. We're just going to enjoy it. Father, we don't want to be held captive by our pasts. Thank you for canceling our 10,000 bags of gold debt. Bring us to a new level of healing so we can forgive better the 100 coins we're owed by our neighbors and friends and coworkers. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.